Thank you for listening to the Abundant Life Sermon Podcast. Abundant Life is based out of Lee Summit, Missouri and has campuses throughout the Kansas City metro area and online. We want to see your life changed by Jesus. For more information about Abundant Life or for locations and service times, visit livingproof.co. Thanks for listening. Morning, Abundant Life. How's everybody doing today? We're studying the book of Daniel. We're doing a study of biblical prophecy. You know what prophecy is? It gives us a window, a portal to see into the future. And I want you to turn today to Daniel chapter 9. Now, you know we all have a little window of time God has given us. That's it. And uh, I didn't used to understand this, but the older I get, not that I'm old. I said, not that I'm old. You guys are doing nothing to encourage me here at all. Okay, now that I'm old, is that better? Okay. I realize, here's the reality, guys. It doesn't matter if you live 70 years, 80 years, 90 years. You can live to be 100 years old. I want you to notice this window of time is actually a small window. That's all we have. In the whole scope of eternity, it doesn't matter how long you live, it's a very small window of time, which means as we study biblical prophecy, it ought to be more than just some new cool information. It should lead to our transformation. Prophecy should make us want to live with urgency for the things of eternity, for the things that matter because it lasts forever. And that's what Daniel is doing for me as we study this together, I hope in some way, that is doing it for you too. Now this may be your first Sunday, maybe you've never really studied biblical prophecy before, so let me define what a prophecy is. A biblical prophecy is a prediction about future events that defy the laws of probability, meaning it can only be fulfilled providentially. So predictions are built on mathematical odds and the science of probability. But prophecy is something different. Like the odds are so great statistically, it couldn't happen any other way except providentially. Like I could stand here today as a prophet and I could prophesy about the future. I could really impress you. For example, I'm going to do it right now. I prophesy that this week in the Kansas City metro, it's going to be sunny and around 90 degrees every single day. You guys impressed? Yeah. You're not impressed. You know why? Because anybody could be a weatherman this time of year. Uh, my odds are pretty good of being right, yes? But I want you to see, we have studied prophecies in the book of Daniel, especially if you've kept up with our extra teaching that I've done in the studio, and we've been dropping these lessons along to do some of the extra stuff we can't do on Sunday morning. We have seen Daniel make prophecy after prophecy that defies the mathematical odds of probability, meaning nobody gets this lucky. We saw Daniel prophesy correctly centuries ahead of time, four successive world kingdoms that would rise and fall. He did it over and over again, and he did it years and years ahead of time. Nobody could do that except for God. We saw in Daniel chapter 8 how he prophesied 200 years ahead of time the Grecian kingdom. He prophesied the coming of Alexander the Great at a time in history where there was no Grecian kingdom. I mean, Greece was just a loose affiliation of city-states that couldn't get along with each other. Like nobody could have imagined all of a sudden they would come together and eventually conquer the world. Yet Daniel prophesied that in Daniel chapter 8, 200 years ahead of time, I'm talking centuries ahead of time, this couldn't have been just done, you know, with statistical probability. 
He didn't get lucky. Eventually, the study of prophecy, as we can prove now over and over again, it really happened historically. It happened literally. We can prove it now looking back through the lens of history. My friends, this ought to give us great confidence in what God has said he will do. And all the prophecies that remain related to God's second coming, Christ's second coming, guys, I like my odds because we can look back through the lens of time in this window of time and we can see over and over again how God has made prophecies ahead of time and each time it happened exactly like God said. Now of all the amazing prophecies we've already seen in the book of Daniel, I think today might be what I call the most amazing prophecy in all of the Bible. Daniel chapter 9, verse 24, we're about to see Daniel correctly prophesied to the very day the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ in his triumphal entry into Jerusalem, and we're going to see Daniel do it 483 years ahead of time. An amazing prophecy. Now, this prophecy is a window of time. What we're about to learn is God's going to give a 490-year prophecy in this window of time, this 490-year prophecy altogether. What we're going to learn, though, is that 483 years of this prophecy have already been fulfilled. Seven years yet remain to be fulfilled. And so total window of time of 490 years, we can look behind us now and we can see how 483 years have already happened. It's been fulfilled. There's only seven years remain on this prophecy of 490 years. There's the seven years of tribulation on the earth preceding Christ's second coming. If you're already studying the Word of God today, everybody say, Maranatha. The Lord comes. All right, here it is. Daniel chapter 9 and verse 24 says this. Seventy weeks are determined for your people and for your holy city. To finish the transgression, uh, what God is saying to Daniel, 70 weeks, 490 years are prophesied. And here's what we're going to see happen at the end of 490 years. Uh, Prophesied for your people, the Jews, for your holy city, that's Jerusalem, to finish the transgression and to make the end of sins. Aren't you glad that eventually it'll be the end of sin? We live at a time where it seems like righteousness and retreating and wickedness is winning again and again and again, but there's coming a day God's gonna end all sin forever and ever and ever. And that's what God is now telling Daniel. Daniel, I'm giving you a 490-year prophecy. When it gets to the end of these 490 years, we are putting an end to sin. Now look at what else he says, to make reconciliation for iniquity. Did you know that Jesus is reconciling all things to himself? Currently, all of creation has been corrupted by sin. All of creation is under the curse of sin. But did you know that when Jesus comes again, it'll be the reconciliation of all creation and the earth will return to its former glory. Before there was the curse of sin upon creation, paradise lost is gonna be paradise regained. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, as he reconciles all things. He says to bring into everlasting righteousness. Did you know there's a kingdom coming that will be everlasting righteousness, perfection? Can you imagine? See, prophecy ought to give us some encouragement. You know, you hear sometimes about the apocalypse, and it sounds really like doom and gloom. Apocalypse now, apocalypse now. That was a movie. Here I am, I'm dating myself again. I am old. But it sounds really scary. Do you know apocalypse, that word, it just means unveiling. That's all it means. 
See, the study of prophecy, the study of apocalyptic literature and the Word of God is simply an unveiling for God to give us an idea, a portal of time, a window of time into the future. And did you know there's coming a day that righteousness will win, everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, meaning at the end of 490 years, all the prophecies will be fulfilled and to anoint the most holy, that's the coronation of our king as he establishes that kingdom, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now it says this, know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah the prince, there shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks the street shall be built again, and the wall, even in troublesome times. Everybody got that, right? Clear as mud? Okay, everybody gets it. We can, we can stop right there. Okay, not clear as mud. Let me give you some keys. It's not as complex as it sounds. It sounds kind of like a riddle, like God's given us a riddle. What is all this 70 weeks, 69 weeks, seven weeks, right? Listen carefully. There's two keys you need to unlock this prophecy of 490 years. Number one is this. These are weeks of years, not weeks of days, meaning 70 weeks of years, or 70 times 7 for 490 years. This term translated as weeks into English is the Hebrew word heptad. Everybody say heptad. Everybody in our church house right now say heptad. That was for our ch- That's an online campus, not you guys. You're here, okay? It's like Simon says. I, I know. I got gotcha. you. All right, heptad. You could literally go to work in the morning, tell your coworkers, guys, this is going to be an amazing heptad. <laughs> See, heptad in the Hebrew is simply a unit of seven, which is why it's often translated as weeks. You're gonna, I hope you have an amazing heptad, because that's what the word is. It means weeks. But here's, it's, it's kind of like our word dozen. If I tell you guys, hey, I have a dozen, you naturally are going to ask, a dozen what? See, the context defines a dozen what? You have to say what to get the context. The word dozen, I could have a dozen days. I could have a dozen eggs. I just bought a dozen eggs for $4.19. I never thought I'd live to see the day. There, I sound old again. Yeah, I wanted those eggs bad, right? But, but my favorite would be a dozen donuts. My personal favorite, dozen donuts. Jelly-filled, preferably, Chocolate long john with vanilla pudding. Oh yeah, now now we're feeling. Now we're all getting distracted now, aren't we? Yes. A dozen chocolate long johns with vanilla. Yes. Okay, now I got you. Good Christians in the house. You guys are all sweet. Oh yeah, okay. We better move on, okay. When I say heptad, it simply is a unit of seven. Dozen is simply a unit of 12. So, so what's going on here? Uh, heptad is not a literal seven days, but we're talking seven times 70 years. This prophecy is related to 490 years. Now, it makes sense because if you know anything about how God works, and as you study the Word of God, you get to see how God reveals Himself. Listen, God is a God of patterns. He's not trying to juke you out. Like, you know, when you're playing football, a really good running back, he goes this way and then he does this, right? About blew my knee out doing that. Better stop. <laughs> he, he wants you to miss the tackle. He, you know, you think he's going this way, and then he goes this way. God never does that. 
He wants you to be able to track him. He wants you to be able to pattern him, meaning as you see what God has done, you can understand what God is going to do. When you see where God has been, you get to see then where God is going to. He's a God of patterns. He wants you to pattern him. One of the studies of the Bible reveals God is a very, very specific, meticulous mathematician. Numbers are very important in Scripture. And when you study biblical numerology, you begin to see a pattern of the number seven. Number seven is God's number of completion, so it makes sense. God sets up this prophecy like this. It's 70 times seven years. You see this pattern of seven, God's number of completion, from the opening chapter of the opening book of the Bible. I'm talking about the seven days of creation. God worked six, rested on the seventh. Now, church, would we all agree that God did not need to take a rest on the seventh day because he was so worn out from the six days? No, God could have done it with nothing but a thought. Everything's here, bam, just like that, but he didn't. He didn't have to go lay down because he was so tired because he worked for six days. So he's setting up a pattern, God's seven, which is a number of completion, which is why when you get to the back of the Bible, the book of Revelation, Revelation is God's book of completion, which means the number seven is stamped all over the book of Revelation. You got seven churches, you got seven stars, you got seven spirits, you've got seven golden candlesticks, you've got seven seals, you've got seven trumpets, you've got seven bull judgments, I mean seven over and over again on the book of Revelation because it's the book of completion. Incidentally also, for reasons known only to God, I do not know. 490 years, very significant. As God deals with the history of the Jews, the history of the nation of Israel, he seems to deal in blocks of 490 years. From the time God called Abram out of the earth of the Chaldees, who'd be the father of the Jews, to the time they left Egypt, out of Egyptian tyranny at the time of the Exodus, 490 years. From the time they left Egypt at the time of the Exodus to the time that Solomon built the temple in Jerusalem, 490 years. From the time that Solomon built the temple in Jerusalem to the time that Nehemiah goes back and rebuilds the temple in Jerusalem, 490 years. So now we're talking about a 490-year window of time that is specifically prophesied for the Jews. That's the first key. The second key is this. God has a prophetic clock. We might call it a window of time. And it stopped when the Jews crucified their Messiah. We're going to see God's clock related to this prophecy began to tick with a specific decree by a Persian monarch that allowed the Jews to leave Babylon to go back to their ancient holy city of Jerusalem and begin rebuilding it. And from the moment that command was given in history, I'll give you the date in just a minute, this prophecy began ticking down 483 years, very slowly, this prophecy began clicking down so that this window of time was slowly closing. You understand, the window of time on all of our lives is slowly closing. Okay, I know I'm acting like I'm going through a midlife crisis right now. <laughs> but the truth is, I'm way past, unless I live to be a hundred, I'm way past midlife. I'm in the last third of my life. Do you understand the window of time God has given all of us is slowly closing? And as it pertained to this 490-year prophecy, it was slowly closing for century after century after century. It began with the decree given by a Persian monarch, and it ended when the Jews crucified their Messiah. God stopped. 
there's still seven years that remain, this little sliver of time that remains on this prophecy. When the Jews crucified their Messiah, it's like God hit time out on the Jews. I'm putting you guys in time out. God turns his attention then to the salvation of the Gentiles, the non-Jews. And when they crucified their Messiah, what happened? This window of time of this prophecy stopped temporarily so that 483 years have been fulfilled. Seven years still remain. 69 weeks are now history, but seven years or the last week, the 70th week, is still yet prophecy. And I want you to see this timeline. I think uh, I'm a visual learner. Maybe you are too. I have this timeline on your handout. And what you have here is a timeline of biblical events or prophetic events. This is kind of a window of time. And I want you to see in this window of time that we currently live right on this line. We're living at the end of what is called the age of grace or the church age or sometimes called the the times of the Gentiles, and right here, you have the second coming of Christ, and in this little sliver of time are these last seven years, Daniel's 70th week, the seven-year tribulation. We are living right at the end of the times of the Gentiles. I want you to see what Jesus said. Jesus said in Luke 21, 24, the last super sign that had to be fulfilled before he comes again. Look at what it says in Luke 21, 24. Jesus said, and they, the Jews, will fall by the edge of the sword and be led away captive into all nations. Jesus, 40 years ahead of time, prophesied the destruction of Jerusalem. Under the Roman general Titus, he prophesied that the temple would be torn down, not one stone would be left on top of each other. Now, lots of prophecy has a dual fulfillment. This prophecy is no different, meaning there's a historical and uh, uh, kind of a partial fulfillment that is actually a foreshadow to a future and final fulfillment. And that's what happened in 70 AD when the Romans in fact, tore down the temple and burned Jerusalem and led captives away into the nations. Now look at what Jesus said. And Jerusalem will be trampled by Gentiles, that's non-Jews, until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Now there's a super sign here. This is a major prophecy that Jesus gave personally. Jerusalem would be trampled by Gentiles till the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. In 70 AD, the Romans drove the Jews out of the city and they legally could not return. For century after century after century, Jerusalem was controlled by Gentile nations. Jerusalem was controlled, trampled underfoot by Gentiles. Century after century after century after century. Jesus called it the times of the Gentiles, where God has temporarily hit time out on the Jews because you crucified the Messiah, John 1.11. He came into his own, his own received him not. He hit time out, temporarily turning now his attention to the Gentiles, the salvation of the Gentiles in the times of the Gentiles. And very, very soon, he's about to hit time in again on Israel and the rest of this prophecy, the last seven years, will count down. Now, this was the last prophecy that had to happen before the Jewish Messiah returns to rapture his bride shortly before the second coming. And do you understand something so significant happened on June the 7th, 1967, in the middle of the Six Days War for the very first time since 70 AD, the Jews rolled back into Jerusalem and took back control of Jerusalem, a super sign that the times of the Gentiles is coming to a close. 
this was such a major world event that it was captured not just by Bible-believing people like you and me that study biblical prophecy, but even secular news media. This is a front page of the New York Times, dated June the 8th, 1967. It says, Israelis rout the Arabs, approach Suez, break blockade, occupy old Jerusalem. And what you have here is a picture of Jewish soldiers. They are celebrating, they are praying at the Western Wall. They had not stepped foot in that part of Jerusalem for century after century after century. Yet on June the 7th, 1967, for the first time since 70 AD, the Jews took back control of the old city of Jerusalem. Do you understand that prophecy was fulfilled that lay dormant century after century after century after century and it was fulfilled in some of our lifetimes. I don't know if you understand how big a deal this is. These prophecies lay dormant for centuries, century after century after century. Jerusalem trampled underfoot by Gentiles. And on June the 7th, 1967, for the first time since 70 AD, the Jews took back control of that city. A super sign that the times of the Gentiles is coming to a close. When I say we're living right on the line at the end of the church age, right before the second coming of Christ, this is how we know. There are certain things biblically had to happen before the Jewish Messiah returned to set up his kingdom and this was the last thing that had to happen, which means every single day since June the 7th, 1967, has been another day of God's grace. Another day of grace, Romans 10, 13, whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. There's coming a day that God is going to hit, begin again, and the last seven years is gonna be counting down on this prophecy. The window of time is today. Do not delay because Jesus could come at any time, any single day, since June the 7th, 1967. We're living right on the threshold of time as we know it. The times of the Gentiles coming to a close. This is what Paul said. Paul picked up on this language of Jesus as he's writing to the Romans in Romans 11.25, the great apostle the Apostle Paul, for I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own opinion. Church, we live at a time where there's a lot of people wise in their own opinion. It's a very dangerous place to live. Wise in my own eyes, as if my opinion really matters. Opinions are just that. What matters is truth. What matters is what God said. The Apostle Paul says, don't be ignorant of this mystery lest you should be wise in your own opinion. That blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. Meaning God allowed the Jews to be blinded temporarily that Jesus is their Messiah. They crucified him 2,000 years ago and God has now allowed them to be blinded to Jesus as the Jewish Messiah for the fullness of the Gentiles so that now for the last 2,000 years he's been affecting the salvation of the non-Jewish people. You see, Jesus didn't simply come to redeem the Jews. He also came to redeem me and you, non-Jews. So temporarily, God allowed them to be blinded. If you go to Israel today, and I hope that you will, next March we're going back to the Holy Land for the first time since pre-COVID. You meet Jews today, 
and they're largely unbelieving Jews. They're blinded spiritually. They're largely agnostic. They're secular Jews. They're very proud of their ethnicity. They're very proud of their history. But when it comes to believing in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, here, here's the reality. A lot of us know more about Judaism than they do. See, they're coming back to the land they have for the last century, but they're coming back in unbelief. They're blinded spiritually. But guess what? Revelation 7 says that early in the tribulation, as God hits time in on this prophecy again and begins counting down those last seven years, Revelation 7 says the blinders are going to come off of them. 144,000 Jews, it says 12,000 from each tribe, are going to miraculously receive their Messiah for the first time, having crucified him 2,000 years ago, and they go forth preaching the gospel to all nations, which is why at the end of Revelation 7, it says John sees every tongue, tribe, people, and nation. Temporarily, they've been blinded for the benefit of me and you. But God is about to take the blinders off, the times of the Gentiles coming to a close. God is about to hit time in again on this prophecy directly related to Daniel's people, the Jews. So let's look at this together and let's unravel this prophecy, verse 24. Seventy weeks are determined for your people and for your holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks. The street shall be built again, and the wall even in troublesome times. So we're going to do a little bath now. Now I promise you don't need to be intimidated by math. God's math, Daniel's math. It's going to be simple math. For me personally, math was my worst subject in school. I, I hated math. I'm sorry to all the math teachers. I don't hate you. I just didn't like math. I mean, when they put letters and numbers together, I was out. God will never do that to you. He loves you. So God always keeps the math simple. We can do this. Don't be scared. Seven weeks plus 62 weeks equals class. Some of us actually aren't sure. Sixty-nine weeks. Told you we could do this. 69 weeks, which is 483 years, yes? So what God is teaching Daniel is that from the going forth of the decree by a Persian king allowing the Jews to leave Babylon where they've been in captivity to go back to their holy city and rebuild it, there's going to be 483 years. I want you to see why I call this the most amazing prophecy in all of Scripture. Daniel prophesies the precise day Christ would enter Jerusalem at his triumphal entry, and he does it 483 years B. See, nobody could just get lucky. This could have only been fulfilled. This could have only been done providentially. He tells Daniel it's going to be 483 years from the command to rebuild Jerusalem to the coming of the Messiah. 
So there are several dates that you can go with. There are actually four, maybe five decrees in history of the Persian monarchs allowing the Jews to go back and rebuild their city. Remember, they went back in waves. Uh, you had Ezra that led the first wave back to Jerusalem to begin rebuilding the temple. You had Nehemiah that led the second wave back to Jerusalem to begin rebuilding the walls. Now, largely historically, going back as early as the second, third century, church historians largely agree that the date came in Nehemiah's day under a Persian king known as Artaxerxes, March the 14th, 445 B.C., and there have been lots of people in history who actually have done the math force. They've done the heavy lifting. March the 14th, 445 B.C., a date that is deeply embedded in secular history, biblical history, as the Persian king Artaxerxes give this decree, allowing Nehemiah to lead the Jews back to Jerusalem to rebuild the city. Uh, actually, one of those men is a man by the name of Sir Robert Anderson, who recorded his work in a book you can still read today entitled The Coming Prince. What he did is change our solar calendar to the Jewish lunar calendar, which is a 360-day year instead of our 365-day year, and then counting forward from March the 14th, 445 B.C., 483 Jewish lunar years, or exactly 173,880 days from March the 14th, 445 B.C., you count forward 173,880 days, it takes you exactly to the date of Palm Sunday. Sunday, April the 6th, 32 A.D. Exactly the day that Jesus entered Jerusalem in his triumphal entry. Now, some scholars debate there was more than one decree historically of the Persian kings allowing the Jews to return. I'm currently studying, uh, for example, the work of a theologian, a scholar by the name of Dr. Floyd Jones, who argues for an earlier decree and an earlier date. But I want you to see it doesn't really matter which decree is in view because it still lands you in this little sliver of time, this little narrow window of time for the Messiah to enter Jerusalem. And Daniel prophesies specifically to this little window of time, perfectly, 483 years have been fulfilled of this prophecy. He came through the streets and they were shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. They were embracing him as the promised Messiah. But by the end of the week, many of them would be crying, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. And the moment they crucified their Messiah, God's window of time on this prophecy stopped. There's still this, this sliver of time, seven years still remain on this prophecy, verse 26. And after 62 weeks, Messiah shall be cut off. Daniel is prophesying the crucifixion of Christ. 483 years before it's ever gonna happen, he is prophesying that the Messiah will come through the streets in his triumphal entry, and he's going to be cut off, but not for himself. Who did Jesus die for? Who was he crucified for? Not for himself, he was crucified for who? Me and you. He was caught off, but not for himself. Isaiah 53 and verse 5. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep had gone astray. We had all turned everyone to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him, Jesus, the iniquity of us all. And Daniel prophesied. 
that in fact the Messiah would be cut off, but not for himself. Now watch this. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Remember, Jesus, 40 years ahead of time, prophesied the destruction of Jerusalem. Now Daniel, over 500 years ahead of time, is prophesying the same thing. The people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary, speaking of the temple. Now he's specifically associating a prince that is yet to come. Notice Daniel 9.25, the Messiah, the prince, large P, capital P, In this particular verse, you have small p, prince. This is a different prince. Everybody tracking with me? He's prophesying now a future prince, a political leader that will come. We're talking now about the Antichrist, the infamous Antichrist. We're building a profile of who he is, this future leader that is yet to come on the world scene. He'll be associated with the people that destroyed the city and the sanctuary in 70 A.D. Who were they, class? The Romans. So I've taught you, you can't understand prophecy if you don't know any history. It was the Roman general Titus in 70 A.D. that came and burned the city and tore down the temple as he led the Roman 10th legion. Verse 26, the end of it shall be with a flood until the end of the war desolations are determined. The coming prince is associated then with the people who destroyed Jerusalem and the Jewish temple in 70 AD. They were the Romans. You see, what you have here is a revived Roman Caesar, metaphorically, of a revived Roman empire. The ten toes of the image in Daniel chapter 2 that correspond to the ten horns of the fourth beast in Daniel chapter 7. I don't have time to rehearse everything we've learned. Sorry, I told you last week my goal is to get you out of here at 1230 every week. I'm working hard, guys. I'm working hard, okay? What I want you to see is there's a ten-nation confederation that will be the political power base of this coming prince, the Antichrist. He'll be associated with the Romans. Daniel chapter 8, we saw two Grecian kings that are prophetically foreshadowing this coming king. Alexander the Great, Antioch's Epiphanes. You have Greece and Rome now associated with this coming world leader. The implication is he will be Western European, emerging from one of those nations around the Mediterranean. Now, Micah 5.5 calls him an Assyrian. Modern-day Assyrians are Arabs. What we're learning is he's going to have a mixed ethnicity, like many of us have a mixed ethnicity. He'll be the perfect person to bridge both east and west as a European Arab in all probability. Verse 27, then he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. One week is how many years? Seven years. The last seven years that remain on this property. He confirms a covenant with many for one week, but in the middle of the week he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering. What we learn here is this coming prince will broker a seven-year peace treaty between Israel and her enemies, which starts the seven-year countdown toward Armageddon and the second coming of Christ. I used to think, and I was taught growing up, that what begins the seven-year tribulation is the rapture of the church. That's not true. 
true. If I'm right about this pre-tribulational rapture, then this covenant could actually be signed weeks, if not months, after the rapture, and it's actually the signing of the seven-year peace treaty that counts the seven years down to Armageddon. That's when God hits time in on this prophecy, and this little window of time slowly begins closing. The last seven years of this prophecy begins. People ask, what would happen to make all of that happen? Well, what I know is the rapture will neutralize the United States like no other nation on earth. It will impact the U.S. politically, militarily, economically. It will neutralize the United States as a world power. Israel's enemies will see their opportunity to march on her again and destroy her. Ezekiel chapter 38 prophesies a future war, a Russian-Arab coalition. The Russian army is staged even now at Israel's door in Syria. It makes more and more sense when you consider what God says is going to happen that would somehow create a situation for another world leader to emerge, to step into the leadership vacuum that's been abandoned by the U.S., you have two parties that are now at the peace table. You have the Israelis who no longer have the security of the West backing them militarily. You have the Arabs, Israel's enemies, that have just been decimated, according to Ezekiel 38, by God supernaturally stepping in to preserve Israel. Both sides will just come to the table to talk peace, and this covenant will be signed for seven years, the last seven years of this prophecy. Now, if I'm wrong about the pre-trib rapture I've taught about, I will gladly change my mind. <laughs> People say, well, Phil, what, what, what would it take for you to change your mind? Well, I gave you five reasons if you watch that lesson on it. I'm convinced there's a pre-tribulational rapture. But if I'm alive to see the seven-year peace treaty signed, I'll change my position. <laughs> I'm in. Post-trib, mid-trib. Either way, it shouldn't matter. See, either way, and we talk about future events, we have to be careful about saying things absolutely with great dogma. Either way, it's a time of preparation. Either way, it's a time of expectation. Either way, it's a time of anticipation. We know we're living right on the line, and this little window of time is about to close forever. Prepare. Soon and very soon, we're going to see the king. Soon and very soon, we're going to see the king. I'll never forget visiting the Western Wall in Jerusalem, walking up the steps, turning the corner, and seeing the six-foot golden candelabra on display. Orthodox Jews in Israel are already preparing to rebuild their temple. They're already preparing the temple elements to be used in that future temple, to think this is the golden candelabra that will be used in that temple that they are allowed to rebuild in the tribulation. As a part of this peace covenant, the Jews will be allowed to rebuild their temple. We know that to be true because it says midway through the week, at the three-and-a-half-year point, the Antichrist will break the peace treaty and cause the sacrifices of the Jews to cease. They have not been able to sacrifice according to the Levitical system and their Jewish worship tradition since the temple was destroyed in 70 AD. They can't worship without a temple in the Jewish system. So we know at some point they're allowed to rebuild the temple, probably as a part of this peace covenant, because of the midway point. He causes the sacrifices to cease. Then he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. But in the middle of the week, he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering. He breaks the peace treaty. 
He severs this covenant. He bans Jewish religion. And on the wing of abominations shall be one who makes desolate even until consummation, which is determined, is poured out on the desolate. And this is exactly, precisely what Jesus was referring to in Matthew chapter 24. In Matthew chapter 24, Jesus talked about the abomination of desolation, that midway through the tribulation, the Antichrist breaks the peace treaty with Israel, launching war on the Jews, proclaiming himself to be God while sitting in the rebuilt Jewish temple. Second Thessalonians 2, he goes into the temple of God, uh, commands to be worshipped as God, proclaiming himself to be God under penalty of death. Revelation chapter 13, Jesus prophesied this in Matthew chapter 24 in his very famous Olivet Discourse. He said in Matthew 24, 2415, therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, meaning when you see this man standing in the holy place, the holy of holies, in the rebuilt Jewish temple, you better get out of town. This is your sign that all hell is about to break loose on earth. And I mean that literally. He said, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let him who is on the housetop not go down to take anything out of his house. And let him who is in the field not go back to get his clothes. But woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days. And pray that your flight may not be in winter or on the Sabbath. For then there will be great tribulation, such as has not been since the beginning of the world until this time, nor ever shall be. It's the second half of the seven years called the Great tribulation, the first half is relative calm, peace, prosperity, but with the coming of this man into the temple, all hell is about to break loose and he will unleash a holocaust on the Jews. Jesus said the world has never seen and the world will never see again and unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. Friends, listen carefully. You may be thinking, well, Phil, if you're right about that pre-tribulational rapture, then what does any of this matter? Because I won't be here. But I want you to hear this. Even if I am right, and I'm, I'm convinced I am, but I'll admit I could be wrong. We're all wrong about some things. Right now I don't know of anything I'm wrong about, but I'm sure I am. We'll get to heaven, we'll all find out, well, I was wrong about that, mm, wrong about that. Here's the one thing you can't be wrong about, Jesus. You can be wrong about a lot of things. And I'm probably more wrong about things than I'm even aware. But there's some things you, you can't miss, you can't be wrong about, and it's Jesus. Jesus is prophesying the last part of the tribulation. It says, Unless those days were shortened, no flesh would survive it. No, nobody would survive it. And here's what I want you to know. Even if we're not in the tribulation, the days are short. Time is very short. There's coming a moment, the last seven years, this little sliver of time, in this window of time, it's about to close. The last seven years of this prophecy is going to begin. 
in the last seven years before Christ's second coming. And sweet friend, we not be in the tribulation, but the reality is God hasn't promised to keep us from any tribulation. Are you ready? Are you prepared? As God has given us this prophecy to look through a window of time while there is still time. And friends, listen carefully. Some of us here aren't ready because you have never yet placed your faith personally in what Jesus did for you at Calvary. He's trying to woo you and he's trying to warn you. Romans 10, 13, whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. But there's going to come a moment, the window is going to be closed. And when it's closed, it can't be open. There's no second chances. This is not a dress rehearsal. The time is now. And the good news for us all is God has still given us an opportunity. We're still living with the window open, the opportunity. And today is the day, if you do not know for certain your destination, would you pray? That's what we're praying for leading up to revival this weekend in August. Would you pray for a move of God, of true biblical proportions. Let God move in you and then pray that God would move through you. Tomorrow morning, if you sign up, you're going to get a prayer prompt. 40 days of prayer. Text REVIVAL to 68618. Imagine thousands of us together praying in the same way on the same day. If you sign up, you're going to get a prayer prompt. It's going to give you a little verse to read. It's going to give you a little bit of a, you know, the, the, the spirit of a prayer to pray together as so we all pray together for a move of God that God would open the eyes of the blind as he has promised one day soon for the Jews. There are people in your life who are currently blinded spiritually. They can't see their need for Jesus. Let's pray for them specifically. A true heaven-sent revival, not just in our church, but beyond. And then answer this question before you go to bed tonight. Before you close your eyes one more day in time, answer this question. Are you ready for eternity? The most important question anybody has to answer is this. Am I ready for eternity? Don't let your head go on your pillow one more time before you make certain you're ready. And friends, until you put your faith in Jesus personally, you're not ready. Would you pray with me? Jesus, I pray for every single person here and every single person online, person, man, woman, teenager, child, under the sound of my voice that God today would be the day of salvation. That every single person would prepare to see the King, because soon and very soon we know, Jesus, that you're coming. I pray, God, for revival, a move of God, 
indescribable yet undeniable. We thank you, Lord, that you're moving already. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you give Jesus the glory with me? Praise him today, would you? Thanks for joining us today. If you enjoyed today's podcast, be sure and subscribe and share with a friend. We hope today's message inspired and challenged you. Let's go be living proof of a loving God to a watching world. For more information about Abundant Life, visit livingproof.co or follow us on social media at Abundant Life LS.